He's, he's real. If there's a doubt in your mind that he's not real, I'm telling you he's real. And I know it makes me sound crazy, and I know it makes me sound like I could be out of my mind. But I know what I experienced, and I know what I saw, and I know how I felt. Jeff Lobenthal is a highly respected and highly rated family medical doctor, a collegiate sports team doctor, high school coach, and former Division I college athlete. Today, he shares the incredible details of his personal encounter with God. Welcome to A Stronger Faith, a podcast where everyday people share real experiences that transform their faith. I'm your host, Stacy McCants, and we pray that God uses this conversation to move you in your pursuit of stronger faith. It's a rare occasion where, through the evolution of personal faith, we get to hear the details of a physical encounter with God. Today is one of those days. Meet Dr. Jeff Lobenthal. When I think of your story from what we've talked about before and and, and kind of what I've picked up, it feels like there's been this evolution of faith that has taken place over your whole life, but that there have been a few milestone moments that have happened that has sort of taken you into maybe new territory from a faith perspective. And I'll be honest, from talking to you before, I wouldn't say culminating, but to have an extraordinary experience like you mentioned to me is just something very rare. And um, it feels like that's, that's something worth sharing. And when I had someone suggest that you'd be a good guest here, I said, hey, that sounds great. What's the story? And they're like, I don't remember the full story. It was around gratitude, but it was very powerful. And I said, hey, that, that sounds great to me. Um, but it feels like, would you agree that this is more of a, the message that's come through your life and, and the way that your faith has evolved through your life? Absolutely. Uh, it, it, to me, it seems as if there are stages to it where God has been preparing me for certain things in my life where I'll get to a place to where I feel comfortable and then he uproots it again in a good way. You know, some of it at the time doesn't seem like it's it's a really good way uh, because it's challenging and you have to really sit and think about, wow, this is a different way to approach my life. This is a different way to approach what I'm doing. But it's kind of like the old thing where you read that story when you were a kid about the emperor not wearing clothes. Once I know that he's not wearing clothes, I can't pretend he is. And so I cannot pretend that God is guiding my life and and present in my life and I can't pretend that he's not there and I can't pretend that I don't want to have conversations with him on an intimate level. I can't go back to what it was when I was a child when he was the old man in the sky and the guy I went to when things were really bad and forgot about when things weren't bad. I can't go back to that level of living. And so each time I think, I'm going deeper with him is the way I like to think about it. 
but it wasn't that obvious at the start. I guess when I look back on it, it seems as if he keeps reaching out to me to say, come further with me, come deeper. Why don't you take this trip with me and see what I'm really all about? Because just when you think you know what God's about, you don't. You know, I've talked to several people in doing this kind of thing, and I've heard more than one occasion where they said, once I got to a certain place, I had this craving for more. I had this desire to open more doors or to have more doors open to just experience more of the thing that I already experienced. I I feel like people sometimes when they're outside of faith, they view it as some unfun, (laughs) that like the fun in life's going to go away because I'm going to, I'm going to live this very dull life. But when I find people who have truly experienced this radical transformation in their spirit, it's, it's like just the opposite of that. Sure. You can't get enough of it. It, it. It's this thing that is so powerful and so healing and so peaceful that you want to explore it as fully as possible. It sounds like that's what you're describing. Yes, you you want to get closer to that feeling because there's nothing else like it that you're ever going to experience. And it changes the way that you interact with people. It changes the way that you see them. I mean, it sounds very cliche, but I mean, the colors are brighter. The air is clearer. I mean, everything about it is a better state of existence because you have that peace and you have that joy. But I want to be clear during this whole talk. I mean, I'm still stumbling. I'm still falling. I'm still getting back up. I'm still trying to figure out better ways to do things without having to leave a lot of skin on fortune's wheel. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, so I don't ever want anybody who, who listens to this to think, oh, that guy, he knows it all. He's got it figured. I'm learning stuff every day. Yeah. And, and I'm just asking God to make himself manifest to me in, in different ways, and, and I'll see different ways to talk to people. But I never would have looked at certain events in my life through the same lens, pre and for the ranch. I mean, it goes back to the ranch for me was the start of that journey, really, because I I was born, I was raised in a, a Catholic home. Mom and dad, we never missed mass. We always went on Sundays. It was something that we did. But quite honestly, I mean, this is no disrespect to them. God was the Sunday guy. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of our life, when you were, you were playing baseball, my mother was commissioner of the youth league, and my dad coached us all. And then we're doing school and we're doing all that stuff. And it was almost like we had him in a safe place for us that was comfortable in our life on a Sunday. And it's not when we loved God and we, but it it was a superficial relationship with my savior at best and more of a bad boyfriend type of relationship. If you want to really get to it, you know, something similar to that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and it's not their fault. I mean, I'm not trying to blame them or anything, but I'm just saying it wasn't something that, you know, was in our life on a daily basis that we talked about. It's like we talked about it on Sunday, but then it was almost like you just flipped a switch and then you did your Monday through Saturday. And I didn't have a deep relationship with God until I went to the ranch with my daughter because I wanted her to come back wearing a promise ring. 
All right. So when you speak of the ranch, this is JH Ranch. It's yeah. um, it's a, a popular. It has been it started as, and and you can speak to this better than I can, but as as essentially a summer camp for families and sort of uh, father daughter, father son, uh, husband wife, and you go out there for what like a week or something like mm-hmm. that. And a week. It's a, the folks that I've talked to that have done JH Ranch um, have all had what I would describe as transformative. Uh, experiences in their relationships both with God and in their family with the the child or spouse that they attended with. In fact, uh, I guess maybe episode, one of our earlier episodes, Mac Ogren, who is with J.H. Ranch, yes. was actually on here, and he talks about his transition from corporate to going to the ranch and all the you know lives that he has seen uh, transformed. But anyway, when you refer to your visit to the ranch, that's what you're speaking of. Yes, and and it came about because a friend of mine, uh, Brent Hutto, who I, Brent Hutto, who I went to school with back at Irwin High School back in the, the 80s, and uh, he was a year ahead of me. And um, I had seen, from what I knew of Brent back then and, and the way I was, quite frankly, you know, we were, we weren't, the greatest of guys as far as from a moral standpoint, but you know, we weren't criminals and, um, he was no, no more as a ladies man. He had the silver, silver trans am anniversary edition with anniversary edition with the uh, T tops and all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. You know, you had a lot of fun in high school. Yeah, sure. exactly. And, um, but then I came to know Brent later. Um, and we went to lunch and I, I knew that there was a, big difference in him from the last time I had talked to him. And when, and I think that's kind of the thing that you're talking about when people think that if they're going to take this journey with God and, and take this deeper relationship step that they have to be this dull. I, I don't see that at all. Yeah. I, they're going to lose yeah, all this stuff. I, I'm not going to be fun anymore. You know I mean? It's like, I'm, I'm going to be the guy at the party that's just kind of hanging back, not talking to anybody. And that's, that's not it at all. I mean, I think <laughs> I, I view Jesus as the guy who's always going to be at the party and people talking to him. Yeah. I mean, they're going to gravitate towards him because it's like, you can't help it, but do that. Not the life of the party. That guy's just, you know, just but the he'll be the guy that everybody's around because he's telling some story that you can't not hear. And he makes you feel good about yourself when you're talking to yeah. him. Yeah. 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 He's actually listening the to you. The story's not really about him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, and so and I was detecting a little bit of that in, in, in Brent. And I was like, Well, I want some of that, whatever he's got, because that guy's right where his feet are. He's present. Mm. He's not Checking his watch, looking to be somewhere else. When I'm talking to him, he's intently listening to me. He's not waiting to talk. And one of the things that came up is I was talking about like raising daughters, trying to keep them away from the guys like he and I used to be. Mm-hmm. And he said, Jeff, I got, you need to take your daughter to the JH Ranch. He says, if it's not a transforming experience for you, I'll pay for it. He says, it's the best money you'll ever spend ever. And then I said, well, that's pretty bold. And the guy that I was coaching with at the time, you know, he, he's always been a very good man who walks the walk, guy who's very grounded and uh, 
the guy I honestly looked up to in a spiritual sense. I wanted to be more like him. And we coached together, and our daughters were the same age. I said, hey, when they hit 13, let's take them out there. Let me tell you about this place. Let me tell you. And I told him the story I just told you. And without batting an eye, I said, yeah, it sounds great. It sounds like something we should do. And so we went out there with our kids. And uh, as the story goes, you know, God had his thumb on me. That place is such a special place. Just you can feel God's presence when you step out there. And, and Bruce Johnston, who started that, place i mean he wanted it to be a place i think you know because you've got marriage counselors for husband and wife and then you've got places that'll deal with kids and their camps and stuff but you never had one where parents would go with their kids healing those relationships maybe there's some hurt there maybe by the time people are 13 to 15 things have happened where they they're not as close as they need to be and that was what they were trying to do, you know? And so while my daughter and I had a good relationship, I, I, I did not, I was not the spiritual leader of the house that I wanted to be. And I knew that somewhere deep inside, I knew that I needed to step it up for my family and be the kind of person that I would want my daughters to marry. And so the thing that spoke to me out there was not that I was bad, or that I I should be sorrowful for the person that I was before. It was, look what you can be. Look what's available to you. Look what God has for you that you're just skimming the surface of because you keep him at arm's length. That's, that's what I heard when I was out there. From the people that were talking, I was like, I've been skimming the surface of my life. And so it was transformative to say the least is this where you felt like i mean you had a foundation of faith you understood who who god is and 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 christ and and so you had a good foundation but sure is this where you it sort of took a turn for um in in really deepening your your faith is is this where it happened yes um and and there's there's a there's a lead into that to what's what's very interesting and because Four years before I had this event happen to me at the ranch, my patient Tim Quinn had volunteered at the reservation at uh, Pine Ridge, uh, South Dakota. He'd gone out there, I think, for about five or six straight years. He had talked to me about it, that he that's what he did with his summers. He would go out there and spend time out there and donate blankets and things like that because you know that's in his heritage. He's part Sioux, you know? And so I got this message from my staff and they said, Hey, Tim is coming in and he kind of demands that he has to see you today now. And I said, well, that's golly. I mean, I hope he's okay. You know, and they said, he says it's an emergency. So I was like, okay. And, um, he comes into my office and really he's, he's kind of sweating. I mean, he almost looks a little, crazy so I was kind of I mean he, he really it, it was a very odd thing so I thought okay he doesn't act this way this is very strange maybe something's going on with his marriage maybe something weird's happened to him I don't know yeah but you're family medicine right this is sure a, no appointment it's an emergency you think well no your voicemail says if it's an emergency you should, you should dial 911 sure the- sure but he, he just told my staff he's like I got to see him today and, and so I didn't know what to expect but I but I 
I trusted Tim, so I said, sure. And he says, can we go in your office in private? And um, I said, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so, so, so we go in there, and, I mean, he, he really looks very nervous. He's sweating, and he performed an, a ritual, a, a, a Lakota Sioux ritual there, me standing up. Cause he said, just stand up and face me. And he, and he went through, and he was – I know what he was doing now because I found out what he was doing, but he was giving credit to the spirit that guided him here and about what he was about to bestow to me. And so I was like, well, this is odd. And, and he had this bag with him and, and he lays out for me that when I had treated Tim the year before for an illness, he didn't go to volunteer at the reservation and he would been gone. And he says I saved his life, but it, I did what a normal doctor should do. Okay, I, I don't think I did anything extraordinary in my mind. You know, he had, he was sick for a bit, but he got well. And so when he went back to the to the reservation that year, prior to him coming into my office, they told him as soon as he got there that he needed to report to the chief. And that was a kind of a big deal because he had actually never had an audience with the chief before. He just went out there and served, you know. And apparently that was a real big deal to go see the chief. And uh, uh, Chief Floyd Hand is his name. And that's, so he went to go see Chief, and he told him that he was glad that he was well and that he had come back this year to, to serve and said, we have something for your healer. And Tim said that he was originally a little off put by that he didn't really kind of said, my healer he says yes you were sick and now you're well he said you mean my doctor he says yes his last name his first three letters in his last name are l-a-u which is pretty odd yeah because <laughs> i don't know how they could find out that type of information and tim said i never told him anything about you no offense doc but you weren't really on my mind when i'm out there you know so he asked him how did they know Dr. Lobenthal. And they said, yeah, Lobenthal, that's the name. And he said, because when we were in our sweat lodge and we were asking the spirit to heal you, they told us about him. And so I got to tell you, I'm, I'm kind of like, wow, this is very odd. I would think so. <laughs> yes. It, you it, you it, got it, patients waiting out there, right? I and, do. And this is all going sure. on. Absolutely. Sidebar in the office. But it, there was something in his eyes and something about the intensity as he's telling me this. And it's just... It's like he has to get it off his chest. Yeah. And because he says, I'll tell you the rest, but you got to let me complete the ceremony. And then he did some more things that, you know, I'm not supposed to talk about. Yeah. No, but nothing weird. But I mean, it's just part of his, what they do. And he handed me what he brought me. And, and it was, it was amazing. It, it was, um, it was wrapped in a, um, a special quilt that, uh, Indian uh, Lakota Sioux had she had been stitching it apparently for over a year, so that was that was odd because I was like, well, they were making this thing for me for 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 a year to put these things in, and they said, yeah, that they go to great amount of time and effort, and only one woman stitches it, and she did the whole thing, and wrapped up in that was a healing ring that they use out there, and a bald uh, eagle Indian feather. And that's a, a very important token there 
if you go on a reservation and you present that, they take you right to the chief, you know, and, but that was put in there. And the thing that was very interesting also is that, um, he said, now this is very important. And this is what the ceremony was mainly about was he presented me with a peace pipe that apparently from what he said was his great, great grandfather's. And I was, okay, well, who is his great-great-grandfather? And he, his great-great-grandfather was Chief Bigfoot, who was at the Battle of Wounded Knee. And I think if you look up the pictures of the Indian who was shot and he was in the snow and you can kind of see him, that was him. And so I knew that from my history books. I was like, why are you giving this to me? Because I know that I'm not, I don't have any Indian heritage in my, at all. And you would think that would be something that would be pretty sacred, passed down generations inside the tribe, I guess. Of course. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, you're looking at me, I'm about as, yeah. know, my heritage is German. I mean, I'm, there's, and I've done the 23 in me, there's no Indian yeah. heritage <laughs> at all in, in, in me. And, um, and so he presented me with that peace pipe and, um, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's carved out of out of stone. I mean, it, it's 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 beautiful. It's 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 unbelievable to to hold. And my next question was, "What do I, Tim? What do I do with this?" And he said, "You'll know, you'll know when you need to smoke it because when you're at a crossroads and you you have a big decision to make, you need to you need to do it." And here's and he instructed me on how it's used and what to do and what to put in it and things of that nature. Nothing illegal, but I mean, that was just, I mean, it's like you stepped into the twilight zone. You're like, where, where is the, where's all this coming from? So what are you making of this? I can just tell from Tim's earnest demeanor and stuff, this is a big deal to him because he was very nervous. When I talked to him later, I said, why were you sweating? And he's like, you don't understand. I was entrusted with this from the chief to give to you. So it couldn't wait. That was the emergency. I could not, I couldn't let it sit for a few days. When I got back, when I drove back, I went straight to your office and I presented it to you because they were going to know if I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And And so I was like, well, all right. And then he said, he said, I said, well, why, why is he giving this to me? Because honestly, Tim, what I did for you was, is my job. It's part of what I do. And I don't really think it was anything extraordinary. And he said, he says that you have something important to do. And I'm like, well, how does he know that? And he says, they know about it because when they were praying for me in the sweat lodge, vision came to them and there's something very important for you to do. I said, well, Tim, I mean, I, I don't, what is the connection between me and the, them? And he says, I don't know, but it has something to do with your grandfather. And I was like, my grandfather? And I'd never talked to Tim about my, my grandfather at all. I had a very close relationship with my grandfather. Growing up as kids, we would spend our summers in Mobile, Alabama, where my mom and dad are from. Because when we would go and they'd say, do you want to play All-Stars? Because my brother and I would both play ball or do you want to go spend the summer with your grandparents? We're like going with our grandparents because my grandfather was a timberman and we got to go up in the woods and blow up beaver dams with dynamite and 
you know, go out on the river by ourselves and boat baby guns and shoot fiddler crabs. And I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, you know, so mm-hmm. that was an easy thing. But but what my grandfather taught me as a young man was just the respect for the land, respect for people. I know that a lot of people lived on that timberland in Sunflower, Alabama, that weren't supposed to be living there. And I know he he let them live there, let them build houses there even though it wasn't their land. And so he taught me from a very young age how to care about others and how to really, like, your word was your bond. I saw him doing a lot of deals with, with other people over timber and just shook their hand and write it down in a little notebook they put in his front front shirt pocket. So I learned a, lot of, a great deal of how to be a man from my grandfather, so he was very important in my life. And so still to this day, I mean, he's been dead 27, 28 years. And um, I think about him every day. And I, th- I do. And I think about the special relationship that we had. And what I'm getting to is that he had a special phrase that he would say to me, my grandfather did. And um, it was a really big deal because when Tim's telling me the story, I'm a little taken aback, as you can imagine. And they said that it had something to do with your grandfather. And I said, well, what was my grandfather got to do with it? Chief says that your grandfather says this. And it was that phrase. And there's there's absolutely no way that a chief in South Dakota would know that phrase. Because my, my wife's the only really person who knows that phrase between me and my grandfather. And, of course, my father and my brother. But my kids don't know that phrase. And so if you weren't paying attention then at the point, it, I, I locked into that because that's not something that he could know. So then I was like, okay, I do have something important I'm supposed to be doing. Because that kind of validated everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you know, the peace pipe should have been a, the thing that you're like, wow, okay, that's amazing. But when I'm getting word from my grandfather, a phrase from my grandfather who's passed away from a Lakota Sioux chief in South Dakota, that's a new level of strange. Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. I don't know that I understand. And and I know the spirituality. I don't know it. I know of the spirituality of Native Americans. Sure. On a, on a level that us European ancestral people who have come here don't understand. Um, to, to be able to transmit some message that only clearly you and he would know. I, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, when you said they prayed, they were praying to God. Yes. I mean, they're, they're, you know, when I talked to Tim about that, because that was something I was like, well, who are exactly are they praying to? And he said they prayed to the great spirit, which is God. Right. You know, and they believe in Jesus, but they mainly focus most of what they do with the great spirit is what Tim was telling me. Yeah. And so they were talking about how the great spirit flows through everything which, you know, the book I'm reading now um, by Richard Rohr, which is The Universal Christ, speaks to that a lot about, like, you know, God is in, in, in everything that we do. Right. He is the light by which we see everything else. And when you start really thinking about what that means, how in the beginning of creation that he says, first there was light. That is God taking form from just the Spirit to 
Now I'm taking form, now, and now I'm light. And so it gives new meaning to what Jesus said. He was the light of the world. And so you start thinking about all those different things, and then I believe that on some level, that was their way of telling me that what we're telling you is true, and that what you should be doing is trying to figure that out, which started getting back to this larger theme of what you and I are talking about of why was I scared to get into the deep end of the pool? I needed a push. Tim coming back and giving me that stuff was a push. That started you, really. That started me. And and, and I started sitting there thinking, and I'll be honest with, with you 100%, I thought it was supposed to be, I was supposed to write some book and be famous. Yeah. I was supposed to do some charitable organization where kids could come and learn. Or I went through a bunch of different things that were this grand bombastic thing that I was going to be doing that then people will know who I am. And it was all vanity. It was all, it was, it was, and I kept getting off the track of it and leading up. So that's four years before the ranch. Okay. And so Tim would come back after he would go out there. Cause I thought I was supposed to, you know, there was a part of me that was a little, still a little leery of it because I thought, oh, they want me to come out there and give some free medical care to the people in South Dakota. And, and and I was willing to do that. I mean, sure, well, okay. And so I'd ask Tim, I'd say, hey, do, does the chief want me to come out there? Is that is that kind of the thing that I'm supposed to do and bring my nurse practitioners, treat a bunch of people? And he'd say, no. And one of the things that was really interesting, the second time I asked that, and this would have probably been the third year before I went, um, I'll go to the ranch the next year. I repeated it again, and I was like, hey, you sure the chief doesn't want me to come out there? And he said, and the chief replied to Tim to tell me, no, we do not meet in this life. Hmm. And that, you know, that's very interesting. And so I was like, wow, okay. He clearly doesn't want a thing from me. And so I was still, what is this great? And I was, you know, kept wondering what this wonderful thing I was supposed to do. And, Another thing he told Tim when he said, we don't meet in this life, said, tell him little fish. I said, Tim, that's it? He said, little fish? <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, what, what what exactly does that mean? And it's clear to me now, of course, but I mean, at the time I was like, little fish, I mean, this is just bizarre. And um, spoiler alert, I mean, little fish is my patience every day. Those are the people I should be making a difference to. These are the people I should be talking to. These are the people I should be trying to heal. These are the people I should be trying to reach. These are people that I can be talking to about God and about my relationship with God. And I never saw myself in that role where Christ was going to be a part of my daily medical practice. But, you know, of course, he is. I mean, if you're if you're in that relationship with him and you are trying to trying to better yourself in every way and trying to be closer to him in every way. How can he not be a part of your life in ministering to others in a health way? Because their spiritual and their mental health and their physical health are entwined. I mean, one affects the other. And I know that there are people out there that, that would think that I'm breaking some type of ethical rule by bringing my faith into my medical practice, but, you know, I, I can't do it any other way. 
I've tried and I've been miserable. You know. When did you start that? Was there some time in, before, uh, from the time where Tim came back from from the reservation and gave you those things in the ranch or after the ranch? When it was did- it was after the ranch. But this, that's the other part of the story. It's really interesting, though. I mean, which is so. I'm still complete, contemplating what I'm supposed to be doing with my life from this, you know, that I, something really important for me to do, you know. And several times I thought, oh, I should just smoke the peace pipe and then I'll know. But I knew that was wrong. I mean, I, I can't tell you how I knew that was wrong, but I did. I was just like, no, that's cheating. The big decision I'm supposed to make is still be made. I have not smoked the peace pipe to this day. You took this pretty seriously. I mean, once he said the thing about the grandfather and, yeah. and other things like that, this wasn't some sort of novelty thing that you kind of set to the side and said, hey, that's a that's a neat thing. Um, no. Interesting. It sounds to me, I, I think about what it would be like if I took something like that seriously. And in any case like that, you would think that there is a message going forward. And for you, there was a message going forward that there is something on the horizon for you. And this brought you into a heightened state of awareness or trying to open your eyes to the possibilities of what that could be. Yes. And, and so when all these things are going on, I'm trying to figure that out. And then I, I, I have that lunch with Brent. And then I'm trying to be a better father. I want to be the, the spiritual leader of my house. And all these things are coinciding. And so then I go out and I have this transformative experience at the ranch I came back, and two days after I was back from going to the ranch, Tim shows up. He doesn't have an appointment. He's not. He doesn't have physical, but he shows up, and what he has with him is a buffalo head from a Sundance that they did, which is a, a, a ritualistic um, ceremony where the males or coming of age. And so for them to give me that buffalo head. And is this an actual? Yes. So life size? Yes. This thing is the size of? Yeah, I got a picture of it. I can show you. I mean, it's it's big. You might have a hard time getting it through a doorway. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's, okay. it hangs at my cabin. It's okay. in a special place. It's And what was interesting, it had a crown right on its head that they had weaved out of reeds and but i mean it's on its head and it, and he did this ceremony thing again and handed it to me and i'm i'm back from the ranch my life's different my wife when she picked me up at the airport she was like i could tell when i looked at you you were different i mean it was that mm-hmm. to anybody around me they were like you're different because you can't not be you know it's it's you want i was in love with Jesus, you know, coming back. And so when Tim presents that to me, he says, chief says, you figured it out. Hmm. That was it. Did, did, and, and he didn't know I was going there. Yeah. <laughs> did God speak to you at the ranch? Oh yeah. Oh, um, not, not in the way they did later. Right. No, not in the way they did later, but more, more in my heart, that feeling that I knew that when I just heard a talk by uh, Heather, Bruce's wife, Heather John- Johnston, and um, I was tired. 
I was tired of staying away from God. I was tired of living a, a half life. And I just, it was at that moment that I said, whatever you have in store for me, I'm willing to do. I'm willing to accept what I've sort of known all my life on some level, but I, I knew it was work because it is work to be in love with God and to do these things. It's not the easy way, but he, but he told us it wouldn't be. I mean, it's in there pretty clearly that it's harder to self, you know, to sacrifice and it's harder to always think of others. It's harder to do these things. And the person who is of the world and not in the world was scared of it because I knew it was, it was going to be different. It was going to be a sacrifice. It was going to be thinking of others before myself. It was going to mean giving money to people that I didn't know. You know, just when I felt called to do it, I was just going to do it. Instead of finding a reason not to, I knew it was going to be, you know, more difficult at my job, taking time to try to get to the spiritual nature of something when I could just easily just give them some pills and walk out the door. I knew that it was going to be a, a different way for me to live that was going to be harder. Was this a commitment that you made in a prayer while at the ranch? Yes, yes. Would, would you characterize it as that, or would you say, hey, this was a, a moment where I feel like God pressed a message firmly on my heart that changed me in that moment? You know, I, th- I think it's more the I think it's more the latter, really. I think it's just what you said. I think there was something that Heather had said that night that um, changing the way that you perceive yourself, changing the way that you perceive the world, and, and seeing as if God created this place for us and a place for us to commune, what am I doing from the standpoint of? my relationship with God. Look, look at your relationship as he must see you as much, as much as he loves you and how he loves you and the things that you do, you're always forgiven. Why wouldn't you meet him at least part of the way? And I think that's what spoke to me. And I said, okay, that I need to do that. I can do because I've known that he's been calling me. I know that he's been there because I could just tell there were certain things in my life where I could see God's presence and things that I was doing, but I knew I was also keeping him away. And I just, that's when I said, when I said I was tired, I was tired of keeping him away. Yeah. When you talk about this, I, I, I try to place myself as an observer and, and what, jumps out to me is God's continuous pursuit of you. Yes. He's a madman for that. I mean, he's... I don't think people appreciate that. It, I believe, is the case for all of us. And it looks different for for all of us. I mean, you've got a Native American angle on this that that adds a whole new level of spirituality that that some might say, oh gosh, that is that is that anti-Christian or is that some sort of other spiritual world that is not of God? And what you're saying is, no, it's clearly of God. Oh, it's this, absolutely clearly. And, and, and was a piece of this. But I think a lot of people feel like spirituality and coming to faith and salvation is this climb that we have to make up this mountain to this God that we have to somehow uh, attain to. 
when the reality is <laughs> he's in pursuit of us the whole way and you finally got tired of of the resistance yes and and i feel like a lot of that come that resistance comes in because we may be fearful of what our life is going to look like on the other side of that especially with a lifetime full of what we're used to and we real once we get to the other side we realize okay i've been that guy and now i'm this guy so i've done both and i'm telling you this is better <laughs> this yes. is, i didn't give anything up but i i just listen to what you say and it is clearly to me at least anyway a pursuit by god of you oh no no doubt and and what's what i want to be clear to everybody else is he feels that way does everybody it's not i'm not special mm-hmm. when you said that the way i view it is he came down off the mountain to get me right i didn't go up the mountain he came down to get me and he can do that for everybody it's nothing special about me and i'm not trying to 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 lay out the stuff that I'm special at all because I just told you the special thing I had to do was go deeper with my Savior so that I could be a better healer, that I could help people more. And in ways that I had never, ever envisioned, in ways they did not teach me in medical school. So what the Indian chief had a vision of was your opening the door. Yeah. Right? I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who opens the door, my father and I will come and dine with him. Um, It sounds like the event was you, at least to this point in your life, was you opening the door. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I think so. I think that's that's a great way to put it. And and it, it was a very moving thing for me in that it came full circle when I came back and I was like, because when you first come back, you think, I'm, now I'm doing, I'm journaling, I'm reading, I'm in the Word, I'm, I'm doing that for myself. I'm not being spoon-fed, this is what this means. Mm-hmm. Because as you and I both know, when you're in reading the Word and you're, what it means to me today is not going to be the same thing that it means to me three weeks from now. Because it's a living Word and that, for that very reason, it's going to change and what I'm taking from a certain verse, same verse, is going to mean something different to me in a month because of what God's trying to show me or what I'm going through at that time. And so I'm doing that, and I'm reading it, and I'm needing, I guess, I just wanted something to make sure that it, I was. this was the thing I was supposed to do. Because I knew it when I was out there. I had an idea. So I wonder if this is that special thing that the chief said I was supposed to do. You thought of that while I you did. were there. Okay. Oh, yeah. I did. I really did. And I know that that may sound silly to people because that's not, that's, I can't imagine something more different than the ritualistic Catholicism that I'd grown up with and an uh, Indian chief in a sweat lodge in South Dakota. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty. That's two different yeah. ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And so, but. I had a piece about it, and I know. And so then, when Tim brought me that buffalo head, and the word from the chief was, "He said you figured it out." You know, I felt like, "Oh, great, okay, no stopping now." 
Why would I, why would I even look back? That was the last thing I needed. Because I thought that was it, you know? And I was headed that way, and I know that, that God was pursuing me in that degree, but I mean, I didn't have to have that. I think I still would have done it, I hope. But when when you started on that journey and then you get that exclamation point at the end, it's like, oh yeah, well, that, well of course, God can do that. God can speak to him and make that happen for me. And it tied in my grandfather because, you know, when I would ask him, I said, how does my grandfather play into this? And then he would just say, Chief says he hears you when you talk to him. Because I have my grandfather's Jeep that he would cruise timber with when my brother and I were kids in Sunflower, Alabama. I have it at my cabin of a North Alabama. It doesn't run, but it's yard art. And I'll sit in it late at night and talk to him. I didn't really share that with Tim, but he said that the chief says that your grandfather hears you. I took it to mean that he, he knew that I was out there in that Jeep. I don't know how, but he did. I, I don't want to go back to that too many times, but this idea that there is um, some connection with a leader of the spiritual people who can have these conversations or some interaction with the deceased and um I, I i would love to know what that looks like and understand that better i don't understand that yeah i don't and, and i don't either and i guess it's not maybe for me to understand we don't have to understand everything well i i, I think the thing that i that i try to take from all of that for me is that we limit god so much yeah by what you know, we want to put limits on his power, limits on, you know, the way that we perceive things and that we only these things can happen and that. I mean, he created all of this. Everything that you and I experience on every single level, he created all of it. Why would he be limited to time? Why would he be limited to any of those things? And that's what, when people will say, well, we have to have, find physical evidence of this and we have to find physical evidence of that. And there's been no physical evidence of the temple. Why do we have to have physical? I mean, do we honestly think that he couldn't make that happen if he wanted to? We have a choice. I mean, everybody would believe in Jesus if he was walking around right now. Right. We all would. And he was performing miracles? Sure we would. It's the choice that we have to make is, is are we going to live by faith or are we going to live by having to see and touch? You know, are we Thomas or, or, or are we Peter, you know? Yeah, and we're, we're both, right? Yes, and, and, absolutely, and, and we're we, both. And we want to know things, and we want, we're hungry for evidence. We're hungry for uh, encounters like this and, um, and experiences like this where people reveal um, the way God moved. And I, I think you're right in that we limit him very much. When we talk about things like this and what we're going to talk about, I think the knee-jerk reaction, even with people of faith, is uh, discomfort. And mm-hmm. that may be a mild way of putting it. And a, a raised eyebrow or what's wrong with this or whatever, and um, because it falls outside of what we find to be natural. Sure. Um, or also the way... Um, scripture maybe have has been interpreted 
sometimes in in certain circles where it can be very closed and limited in its interpretation versus the living breathing word of god that you just got through mentioning yeah i love discussing these things to challenge those very concepts and ways of thinking so i just see all of this as part of the puzzle now so once you've gotten to this stage you've sort of been able to put a bow on the event that the chief talked about um, what was going on with grandfather and and all of that but when a thing like this happens what it really is is a new beginning mm-hmm. this was like a rebirth yes a, a, a new life that was beginning at this time. So what does that life look like? Um, well, I think you're exactly right. And, and I do view my life as I had the life before my transformation at the ranch. And then this, there's the life I'm leading now. I mean, and that's, that's a real distinction for me. You know, that was, that was a little different. I think for a lot of my family members, I it was different from you know, my mother and father. They were just kind of like, wow, just really going all in on this Jesus thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, and, and uh, I think just, just to like give an example, I think my mother thought I was no longer going to be Catholic, you know, and, and I'm like, mother, I'm not limited by being a Catholic. I'm a child of God first. Okay. I'm a practicing Catholic, but I mean, I still feel close to God in, in a Catholic church. And it's still important for me to do sacraments, you know, the sacraments of marriage and confession and, and, and communion. I mean, those are all very important to me because that's something I identify with and something that makes me feel close to God. But I do not think that you have to do those things to be a Christian and to have a relationship with Jesus. I just don't. I think that because I was raised in a Catholic church, that's where I feel close and that feels familiar and that feels right to me, just like someone who was raised in a Baptist church or someone who was raised somewhere else, that feels right to them. And if that's where you can find God and you can hear God and you can feel his presence and you can be moved by God, that's where you should be. And so she still was clinging to like, well, that, you know, what, who, who runs this place, this JH ranch and what faith are they? And, you know, and I'm like, you know, it's like, I don't know. I'd have to ask that. Bruce Johnston, I don't know what church he goes to, because that's not part of that message. But but it is interesting because when I was out at the ranch, you know, and I'd you know, and I would talk to some young people that are out there, you'd be surprised how many of them were young Catholics and they'd say, Well, you know, wow, it's really nice that you are able to speak about God in such a way because, you know, we just sometimes that's not really what we get when we go to Catholic church. And I'm like, well, no, because you're, you're, you're doing the ritual and memory of what God did when his body became bread of life and blood of Christ. You know, I said, those are not the things, but they're not exclusive. And and I think that's what I was kind of getting from the, and I was trying to explain that to my mother about how an Indian chief out there prayed for me, got a vision of me and was encouraging me to go deeper in my faith. That's God. That's what he can do. Yeah. So why am I going to be limited by what I'm doing by 
what church I'm attending. I mean, I mean, and, and that's just like yeah, the traditions I, of those. I, I don't, I don't, I don't see that, and I can't go back to that life. When I told you about the whole emperor wearing pants. I can't go back to doing that, and that doesn't mean I'm not. I'm not a believer in the, the Catholic doctrine and the, in the catechism of the Catholic Church. I do, but it's inclusive of everything else. I don't see it as exclusive. And the 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 thing about I'd like the point I'd like to make about what I think about the Indian Jeep and what that means is that God is living through everything that we do. The 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 Sioux are very in tune to nature. They're very in tune to what's around them. They're very in tune to what brings rain for them and, and being thankful for that. And when they slaughter an animal, being thankful for what that animal did and, and that that animal died with honor and they killed that animal with honor and things that are very sacred to them. That's seeing God in the everyday. That's seeing God in rain and crops and things of that nature. And what a wonderful way to live, to see God in all that. I mean, it, it's it, the it, spiritual life. Yes, and and, and and what I this whole this is a whole topic that that is worth exploring, and it it, it may occur in conversations we have around salvation. And, and it was what Jesus taught when he was here. It's what his conversations ad nauseum with the Pharisees were about. It's like. You guys are so concerned with the law. What you're not getting is the reason for the law, and it is to change your heart. It is to turn your spirit into love. Yes. That is what this is about. And when we get caught up in our traditions, like you Pharisees are, or us Baptists or us Presbyterians or Catholics or whoever else it may be. And I, I know that everyone in each individual camp probably would have hair raising on their arms to hear this. Maybe and maybe not. I think we all have to understand that this is a spiritual, I hate to say journey, it sounds, but, that, but that's kind of what it is. Getting our hearts aligned with the Creator. God, I believed designed things to work in a particular way. And that way is love. Sure. And when we don't do that, it falls apart. But when we get focused on that and we become that, we become one with him, just as Jesus prayed that we would do. This whole thing is about your spirit. It is about your being. It is about the the person you become. It's about the way you feel in your heart. It's about transforming that. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it, it, and this is the process you're going through. Sure, through this whole thing. And and I rely on guys in my men's group. I mean, I have guys in my men's group that are more mystic than others, but but they all contribute something. But I mean, we're 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 trying to find a way. To see things, we're recommending books. We're, we're, we're sometimes we will definitely look at a piece of scripture and really dissect it, but we always come around to where's the Holy Spirit in it? What, what is it doing for us? What is it in reality? What are we looking at when we're trying to decide decide this? And every time that we get to something that is divisive 
or exclusionary or negative, we're like, well, that, that's not coming from God. I mean, well, you know, that that can't be what we're going for, right? I mean, let, let, let's back it off that now because I think we limit God when we put up divisions and when we put up things yeah. that that we, oh, you can't you can't get into heaven if you're doing this. You can't get into heaven if you ever did this. And I'm like, whoa, don't we believe in grace? Don't we believe in the way for him to heal? Let's look at the way that Jesus walked and what he did and what he said. And when you look at that, even if you're a non-believer, let's say you just think Jesus was a great guy. Wouldn't you want to live your life according to those principles? Wouldn't you like to live your life like him? Because that is a life of purpose and meaning. That is a life that has unbelievable amount of love in it. And, and what would happen if everybody lived their lives like that? What would this place look like? What would earth look like if everybody lived that way? Heaven on earth. That's what it is. That's what he's trying to, <laughs> that's what he's trying. to do, right? Exactly. It's in the Lord's Prayer. It's a I new mean, heaven and a new earth. I mean, it's, it, that's, sure. that's, that's the culmination of everything is when we get there and what... So, uh, I, I love this conversation, and I think it's really powerful. I, I believe people get too hung up and quickly hung up in the traditions that they were raised in, and um, so much so that they become barriers to love and and to the way, which is what it was, was called. That's what it was, yeah, in the beginning. Ago, right? So, you changed from that time that first experience at the ranch where you made a commitment and God spoke to you around that commitment and it, it changed and you were, it was confirmed through the chief and, mm-hmm. and, and all that, that this was the direction. So how did it change? Well, well, I kept getting confirmation from people who invested in me. You know, there was a, a gentleman who since passed away who, uh, who was hugely influenced. His name was Frank Mann. And he just took me under his wing, and he's the guy who introduced me to my Saturday morning men's group where I was the youngest guy there. He invested in me and was really encouraging me to go further, and he would give me books, and he would, you know. And then uh, Bobby Prince, who is part of that men's group, and and Bobby had had a very similar experience to me at the ranch. You know, he was really one of the best divorce lawyers in the state. When he went to the ranch, he never— did another divorce case when he came back ever. I mean, he just wasn't going to do that ever again. Still practices law, but doesn't do divorce. I mean, really changed the way that he viewed how he was going to live his life. And Bobby gave me the the book, um, The Shack, which uh, I've never seen the movie. I don't know if it was any good or not, but, but the book is phenomenal. And I really like the book because it, presents God in such a different light and, and, and it discusses the Holy Spirit and, you know, and, it's, and it's divided in several different ways. With You've got the Holy Spirit, you've got Jesus, of course, and then you have God. And, then, and I really liked how they did it. And one of the very interesting things that was propelling me forward at that point was this concept of expectation. We put these expectations on what we should be doing and what we, sh- and it works against us because we're always looking to tomorrow and we're basing our expectation on what happened in the past. And so that we're never here in the present. 
And we always put these expectations on ourselves like, because I've done this in the past, I should be doing that tomorrow. What would it look like if we just started living every day for what it was and getting the most out of every single day in the way that we talk to God and see God and others, even the people, especially people who don't like us. It's easy to see God like in you. For me, sitting across from you, because we both have a shared belief system, we both have love for our Savior, and we both dig talking about him. You know, it's, mm-hmm. this is a great conversation. But what about the guy who's like, you know, maybe he doesn't smell so well. Maybe he's resistant to us, doesn't like us, or giving us that your number one salute at the, at the traffic light. We still have to love that guy. And I'm not trying to, for whoever's listening to this, think that there are days when I'm not loving that guy. Yeah. And I, But I recognize that I'm not loving that guy. And I stop and I say, okay, I don't know what that guy's living. I don't know what he's going through. I don't know what's just happened. Maybe he just came from finding out his wife's got a terminal illness. Maybe he's doing his best to try to, like, get his kid back from a bad divorce and lost custody. I don't know, but I can pray for him and I can have love for him. Yeah. And, and and maybe he's just a jerk. Maybe, (laughs) you know, and we're called to love him anyway. It's, I I find it almost comical. I've thought of this too. Several occasions. It's like God says, I, I, we design, I, I designed this thing to be built on love and light and goodness. And that is who I am. And that is what my pursuit of you is about is to get your heart aligned with that so that you can love me, love like me. But here we are surrounded by other sinners. <laughs> it make it almost impossible. It's like, how are we supposed to do this? I mean, we're, we're challenged daily sure. with this unbelievable challenge of, Loving people that really tick us off and really get on our nerves and do all these other things that clearly are not displaying love themselves. And and we get constantly reminded of our inadequacies and why we need a Savior. Sure. Because, I mean, if, if we're truly transparent and we're truly honest with ourselves, we see so many days, so many ways, rather, in which we fail continuously. I mean, you know, just like, wow, there's so many better ways I could have responded to that question that somebody asked me without being short. Yeah. I mean, she did interrupt me in the middle of what I was doing, but did I really need to respond like that? Or couldn't I have been a better example of what God could do than what I just did? Because I fall short, I'm human. And and to always strive to be better than that. I mean, it's it's a it's a challenge, but at the same time, I just don't want to get caught up in I'm a horrible person. I, because I think when I'm busy, you know, got the cat of nine tails I'm slapping myself on the back with, I can't hear God. I can't be attuned to what he's trying to tell me. And I think that's I think that's the devil. I, I do. Reminding us just how bad we are. I, like others, have my own set of uniquely powerful um, misgivings. 
and things that define me and that I display with frequency uh, in situations where there's a heightened tension or there's conflict or whatever. And I have done that. I have beaten myself up. I have said, I guess you're, that's just the kind of person you are and will always be. And of course, none of those things work. Those are, I think, what you described as the devil. And I, I do not disagree with that at all. I think those are the lies that he feeds us. And we like to label ourselves often as our worst instead of our best. <laughs> what has worked for me is that I, when I try to deal with that stuff myself and try to fix it myself, nothing ever changes. In fact, it may only get worse. And, and you feel like that's maybe a potential solution. But the only thing that has worked in my own experience is immediately taking it in prayer and going to God and say, hey, look, I have a problem with being overly critical of people. I find fault so easily. God, I can't fix it. I can't do it. The only person, the only one can fix it is you, and I'm asking you to do it. I'm asking you to do what seems impossible to be done to me, for me. Or it may be anger, or it may be, it may be anything that is our demons. Sure. And I have found that over time, when I have gone to God in prayer, acknowledged my inability to do anything about it, and said, God, the only person that can change this is you. I cannot, and I'm asking you to do it. It's that, it's that control thing. Isn't it? It and, is. And, and I, I have seen change. Absolutely. My wife sees change. My friends and family see change where I didn't think it was possible. That's what has happened for me. And, and the beating yourself up, you're right. That doesn't work. Being defeatist doesn't work. Trying to fix it yourself doesn't work. What I have found to work is just saying, God, I can't do it. So you're discovering some of these spiritual truths once you've um, made this commitment and this transformation has taken place. But that wasn't your last visit. No. Um, to the I, ranch. I went back in seventeen with 2017 with my daughter Claire, my youngest, because she had, you know, it was her time. She was 13, and she would, had heard from her sister how great it was and wanted to do those things with Dad because a, it's a very intentional time where you're just, the only thing that's important is our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. But one of the things that was a trigger for me up there on this last time <clears throat> was that I have multiple sclerosis. I was diagnosed in 2001. So I, I kept that a secret from most people uh, up until when my daughters were old enough for me to tell them myself and that they could understand what that meant. I don't really, obviously, I just mentioned it to you now. I mean, I'm not, I don't keep it a secret. I, done, I didn't want to be the person who people would look at with sympathy and stuff. They just see you, that you're living a normal life. And like, wow, I didn't know you had MS. And yeah, since 2001, you know, for a long time. And so that made me appreciate a lot of things. When you talk about the heart of gratitude and things of that nature, that that disease has made me grateful for so many things because I'm walking around now and I haven't been disabled and I haven't had 
exacerbations that have limited me physically or mentally. It was tough. There was a period of time where there's some things, and there's some things that I don't do well like I used to that I definitely think are attributable to it. Um, and that's part of the anxiety that I was having taking my younger daughter to J.H. Ranch because when Lily, my oldest daughter, and I went out there and we had that's such a great week and, and, and the transformation that you and I talked about, Lily would volunteer for every physical thing that we did out there. Like you have to like do the Odyssey, which is a ropes course, you get, you know, and, and all these things that are take you out of your comfort zone for a reason so that you can be vulnerable and so that you can start to really, okay, I did this and it was terrifying and I can do, you know, I don't want to go back up on the ropes, but I can talk to my daughter now because compared to what I just did physically, this, this is easy talking about how I've hurt her. You know, it, it, it takes you out of your comfort zone without distraction and you're intentional with your kid and your relationship with Jesus the whole time. And so the physical things that Lily would volunteer for, I mean, she was, without even knowing what we were doing, she was like, Dad and I will go first. And I was like, okay, great. I guess we'll figure it out as we go. So she had told Claire how all these great things that they had done, like when you climb the ropes and you do these things and you jump jump off this cliff into the water and all these things. And um, I knew that my balance in the three years since I'd gone with Lily, my intentional balance, I don't have a balance problem at work or walking, but when it's an intentional thing where I'm – Standing on a guy wire, yeah, it's bad. My balance is not good, and that is one of the casualties of of, of this disease. And so, I knew that physically I wasn't going to be able to do the things that I had done with Lily three years before, and I was having a very hard time with it. And it and it's pride, and I realized it was pride, but I still couldn't beat it. And I didn't do the thing that you just talked about. I didn't do the thing where I just said, hey, I'm going to surrender that. I'm not in control. I need you to give me the strength to do that. And I hadn't done that. But it was on my mind, and I'm flying up there, and I wrote it in my journal as I was on the flight there that I needed to, man, I really got to be there for Lily. And then so the night, and I knew the day that we had all these three events lined up that were going to be tough for my balance. You know, I wasn't worried about the whitewater rafting or any of that other stuff. And it wasn't because it, it truly wasn't because I thought I'd be embarrassed in front of anybody. I didn't want to let her down. I didn't want to let Claire down that she yeah, couldn't experience. I understand that. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm racked about that. And Heather Johnston gave a talk and it, and it comes back to Heather. It seems like both times. And, and she gave a talk about, being in love with God and how she's in love with God and how some of that stuff we talked about earlier, the pursuit of, of Jesus and how he's a madman for our love and we'll do, he'll put things in our path that really bring us closer to him if we just acknowledge it and look at it. She said, why not view everything in a different light? View it through this thing in your path is a way for you to get closer to God. Instead of this obstacle that you have to defeat or this thing that you have to vanquish, this obstacle is a way for you to get closer to God if you just turn it in the right light, you know? I think the the 
way she phrased it was part your hair on the other side. And it was funny because the guy I was up there with, because I went up with another parent that was a friend of my daughter's, you know, the two girls. And so we went there together and both of us are bald. And when she said, part your hair on the other side, she was looking at us and it's kind of a laugh, but, but I took that to heart. And so when I went to sleep that night, after that talk, and I had this waiting for me the next morning, I had made up my mind. I said, God, I haven't even asked you to help me through this. I haven't, I haven't really asked you. I know you can do it. I mean, you've done much more than help some redneck up in, you know, Etna, California, overcome balance issues on a ropes course. I said, Did you, you can help me do this, and I can believe, I know that you can, and I need to view this as an obstacle that's going to draw me closer to you because I'm going to surrender and I'm going to let you do that for me. And it was, it was a peace I hadn't known. I just, I just felt this overwhelming sense of peace. And I said, oh, this is what some of these people must, when they pray expectantly, like this is going to happen? Because I'd never done that. And I always admired the faith of those people that did. So this is going to happen. God's going to make this happen. Let's go. And y'all say, oh, it's just like that? So God's going to do this? <laughs> and they're oh, yeah, it'll happen. Let's go. I've, I've never been that guy. I still struggle with that. And I, I felt that peace. I said, oh, tomorrow's going to be fine. And I think I fell asleep immediately. I was like, oh, this is great. So my daughter was going on an um, early morning ride with, with her friend. And so I had to drop her off like before sun, sun up. And so we take her down there and they're going on the cowboy ride where they, they, they're on the horses and they're going to go have uh, breakfast at the top of the hill. And I'd already done it with my other daughter. And so it just worked out that she was just going to, two of them were going to go and I was going to be on my own. So I went over to a little hill right next to where we, where I just dropped her off. I said, man, this would be a great place to watch the sunrise. And so as I was sitting there in that chair, um, watching the sun come up, I started doubting. I don't know how many hours had passed since I'd had that overwhelming feeling of peace and I was turning it over. And I, and I knew my own face that this was going to be okay. And I started doubting, what if, but what if I get up there and, you know, this happens? What if this? And um, it, it's, it's the most amazing thing that's happened to me in my entire life. So I have that moment of doubt. And it was a voice and it spoke to me. So when I, when I speak earlier about God speaking to me, it's the feeling. It's 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 it's. I know this is right. This is, and you get that warm feeling in your in your, in your chest, and you know, okay, that's what God needs me to do, and I know it's true. This was a voice. This was an audible, an audible voice. Okay. Okay. An audible voice, and and it said, and I know this may sound sacrilegious, but I got to tell it the way it happened. Are you kidding me? And I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time with this. You know, and he's like, are you kidding me? You don't think that I can make this happen? And I said, well, I mean, God, it's just me. And, and he said, I, I know you. He said, 
when you were a little kid and you were playing with Matchbox and, and he's talking to me. This is still audible. Yeah. And so the voice is coming from my left. And so I'm I'm trying to sort of turn my head, but it, it's one of those things where he's above and to my left, but I can catch glimpses of him. And what's odd, and don't take this the wrong way either, it's a better version of what I think I look like, I guess, in some state of existence, but it's a better version of me, and it's above me, and it's to my left. So now you have a a visual experience as well. Yes. And this is as the sun's coming up, and I'm just... It's it's almost as if I'm paralyzed that I can only turn my head a little bit to the left to see him. And he's talking to me and he's making eye contact with me and it looks like me and I know this is going to sound like it's a, it's a farce because he's he's wearing a cowboy hat. I'm not wearing a cowboy hat. I'm just out there. And he's wearing a black cowboy hat and he's looking at me and he's when he's talking to me and he's like when you were playing with Matchbox you know, the cars in the driveway when you were like five and you were wondering what's going to happen to me if something happens to mom and dad. Do you remember that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. And I didn't remember that until he told it, until he said it. And then I did because I had a distinct memory of that when he said it. And I said, yeah, then I tell you, you're going to be okay. Didn't I take care of that? Why Why are you worried about that? When you were worried about passing that test in high school, you know, taking that ACT, and you were worried, and I told you I was going to take care of that. Remember that? You did well on it? You remember that? Said, yeah. When you were worried about getting that hit in that game, and you said, man, if I get that hit in this game, I know that, I know there's a God. I know there's a God. What happened? You get a hit? Yeah, I got a hit. Why in the world would you not have faith in me now? All these great things that you have, all these great things I've shown you, why would you not believe in me now? And I said, Lord, I believe. He says, but listen, I need you to understand this. It's all going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. All the things that you worry about, that you spend the majority of your time focused on thinking about is a waste of time because it's all it's okay when you were wondering if you should marry her it's okay isn't it it's better than okay it's darn right it is I mean he talks like that he does and it was not my voice that it sort of sounded like a better version of me, but it was audible. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking the thoughts. This is happening. And the thing that was really interesting, he says, hey, in the time that we've been talking, have you noticed that you're not breathing? And I sat and I looked at my chest because I, I could look down just a little bit. And I just, picked up my watch and I looked for about a good two minutes and now I wasn't breathing. And now it sounds crazy, but I wasn't breathing. And then he said, see, are you worried? 
Isn't everything okay? I said, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I got it. And then it was over, and I wept. And he was gone? Yeah. The, the breathing thing was the last thing. It's like, see? You're okay. What do you mean, so the breathing thing? You did, you, you... When, I, when I looked down at my watch, and then I was looking at my watch, and I counted off you know, two minutes, he said, see? You're okay. You hadn't breathed for two minutes? I didn't breathe for two minutes. Is it just that you remember you didn't breathe or is your watch was, recording? No, I was I was looking at my watch and watching my watching my chest. Oh. And I was watching my chest and I timed the fact that I didn't take a breath in two minutes. But I wasn't holding my breath. It was just it's a very strange thing. I was in a state of utter just peace and calm. I mean, even though I could tell he was angry when we first started talking, I, I had no anxiety. It was like it was just a a bystander having a conversation with God. And I've never had that happen before or since. Um, I've, I've, but I had a, a feeling of warmth that, I, that I've never felt before. I just, it was another feeling of, of, of Heat's not the right word because that, that has a connotation of maybe it wasn't pleasant. It was a feeling of warmth, I guess, that you would get from just utter joy. I mean, I just, I felt like I was at home, even though I was in a place that was not home. I don't know. It's it's like that when you were a kid and you felt that great feeling when you were sitting with your parents on the couch and just everything was perfect in the world and you just felt protected and safe and this is what it's like to feel love from everybody. That That's sort of how I felt. It's, it's the only thing I can really describe it like, but it was... Well, there was no fear? No. I mean, cause you hear, it's, it's, read but, scripture, lots of times when there were visions or whatever, there was this instinct of fear. Well, I, I knew I couldn't gaze exactly... I mean, I could get a gist of it. I could see shape, and and it was in the cowboy hat, and the and I know that sounds weird, and it was above me, but it's like I couldn't turn my head. But I didn't care that I couldn't turn my head. I know that sounds weird. No, well, it does sound weird because it's not something that happens naturally in our world. No. And so... I've not had a conversation with someone who had an audible and visible encounter like you're describing. Let me ask this question. Okay. Is there in your, I mean, you're a trained doctor and you understand physiology and um, the tools that we have at our disposal and a very smart guy. Is, is there any other possible explanation that you can think of for for this in the ordinary world no i mean i I just remember being in a place where there's confirmation why would okay if if i'm gonna be someone who is trying to have a relationship with my savior 
why could he not do that? Why would I not just, okay, I saw it. I, I was there. And so I guess I was supposed to say to people, he's, he's real. If there's a doubt in your mind that he's not real, I'm telling you he's real. And I know it makes me sound crazy, and I know it makes me sound like I could be out of my mind. But I know what I experienced, and I know what I saw, and I know how I felt. And I know when he was going through my life, I was seeing those images in front of me. As he was talking them, I was seeing them. I remember seeing my wife's face, and I'm asking her to marry me. All those things were happening, and he was telling me these. These were the things that you were worried about. And I just gave you that feeling of peace the night before, and you're going to question, can I do that? And here's what I can do. Have you noticed that you're not breathing? Did you feel like this was like a, a dream-like state? I, I mean, I, I knew I knew it couldn't move. But, I, but, it, but what's strange is I did not have anxiety about it because that feeling was so strong that I was in the presence of God. It was like, okay. So when this ended, you were able to carry on yeah, how did how did you carry on? Because like, if this were a dream, for instance, let's say, let's just say hypothetically, okay, you were exhausted from the night before for worrying about it, staying up all night long. Sure, you got into a peaceful place as the sun's rising one morning, and you like dozed off and had this vivid dream about something, and then woke back up, and it felt extremely real. You're saying, I hear what you're saying, but it wasn't that. Did you continue? I mean, did you like stand up, look at the rock or wherever? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I turned around and I was looking around and I was like, okay, he's not, he's not there anymore. And so I, and then I said, thank you. And, and I wept. <laughs> I mean, I just, there's not, I, I was so grateful for it, but I also was, it was, it was draining. I felt, spent so to speak i mean i just was like wow that something unbelievable just happened to me but my immediate thought was this isn't really about you man this happened to you so you can tell people they're going to be okay and that god exists and don't doubt that he exists and if he can do something like that to me out in Etna, California, he can do anything. So why not ask him? Why not spend time with him? He wants to spend time with you. He wants to be in concert with you. But the story is not about me. As as, as silly as that, I'm not trying to do that to be falsely modest. It's very important. He's just saying, I'm in control. Surrender. Surrender. And know that I've got this and that it's going to be okay. So when you're worried about your parents and they're getting older and you're worried about them dying and what's going to happen to them and what's going to happen, it's okay. I've got it. That's him speaking, not me. I mean, that's what he's telling me. And so there's so many things I don't worry about anymore because I'm like, he's got it. But but I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. I still fail miserably at things. 
that I shouldn't fail at, you know, because I've heard the voice of God. Why would it, why would it, why would I still fall into some of the same traps? Why would I still think I've got it figured out and need to be re- reminded and humbled? Why would I do that? Because, because I'm human because I'm just like everybody else. I ain't, I'm not special. I had something special happen to me and I feel like I, I need to share that with people simply because the message was stop worrying. That's what I took out of it. Yeah. And that is one of the most, one of the more powerful, in my opinion, beneficial takeaways of living a life of faith is not worrying and, and, about things that you used to worry about. And then the handful of plus of interviews that I've done on this podcast, that is probably the most consistent message that has been delivered by people whose faith has been shaken and heightened was, I just don't worry about the things I used to worry about. And I'll tell you, for you to have an experience like that is one thing. And it's a thing that would clearly shape anybody who had an experience like that and affect them for the rest of their lives. But to then take it and tell other people about it and risk sounding like a crazy person. And I think you know that. I mean, I think you know if I come out and say this to people, I run the risk of being a crazy person. But what you said is, I know what I saw. I know what I saw. And, and when you say that, I hear John. <laughs> it's like, we saw him with our eyes. We walked with him. We saw the resurrection. And he, he's like saying, look, I know what I experienced. We saw him. We experienced him we lived this with him and it's almost like he's saying i know you may think i'm crazy when i tell you these things but i can't not tell you these things right and so when when i have i have to play the role of skeptic to some degree sure because henry riding down the road or sarah riding down the road has questions and we got to, we got to ask questions mm-hmm. and, and we want, because we all want to know truth, right? And we want to know the truth. We don't want to feel like the wool's being pulled over our eyes or anything like that. Right. But for you to be willing to come here and say it where, you know, lots and lots of people are going to hear it and, and to have broadcast it to the people you broadcast to me speaks volumes about its authenticity. And uh, because you're, you, you, that, that's a risk for you. Sure. It's the kind of risk or a similar type of risk that um, the disciples who, after Jesus' resurrection, who were in hiding one moment, then proclaiming what they saw in the temple in front of the very people that just executed <laughs> Jesus because it didn't matter anymore. They saw something so extraordinary 
so life-altering for them and the rest of the world that it didn't matter anymore. They were changed because of a new reality. And it's the similar thing that I hear when you describe. Well, I guess, you know, you have to be aware that it sounds fantastical and it sounds strange and it sounds otherworldly. But I'm not honoring him, our creator, our savior, if I'm not telling people what he told me. Stop worrying. I mean, he couldn't have just, this message is not just for me. It's not. I mean, I knew that I knew that as soon as it, it was over, that it wasn't, I'm not special. Don't, don't sit here and think that, because your first thought, I mean, my, well, one of my first thoughts after is like, no one will ever believe this. My wife's not going to believe this. And how am I going to tell people this? How am I going to explain this? And so, I, I mean, I didn't share this directly immediately. I said, well, I'm going to tell my wife this because people are going to think I'm nuts. You know, I, I just, I just kind of said to the guys in the group, I said, man, I had a encounter out there on that hill. And they're like, well, can, can you talk about it? I said, no, not yet. I can't. But it's something happened out on that hill. And then you try to convince yourself, because we're human, that it didn't happen, that it was what you're saying. But I'm like, no, nah, I was awake. I was watching the sun come up. I was reading. I know right where I was in this book. I know right where that pen was. And it started right when I started doubting. And it started right when I started saying, but what if this happens? And I was trying to stay focused on what I was reading, and it kept coming back. But what but what if this happens when I get up there on that odyssey? What if this? And it was like, are you kidding me? And then I'm like, no, that's real, because it's almost like I can, I can go, just like I just told you how it went. And I can't explain it. I don't think that I'm special. I don't think that... I think that the message is the thing. It is how many things that would be better right now in our world that we're living in if we live life where we stopped worrying and we stopped having fear and we stopped letting media outlets and we stopped letting things dictate what we do through fear. Where we said, you know, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to live my life that way. And I'm not going to make decisions based on it. I'm not going to have a fear that God doesn't exist. Because I know he exists. I know what happened to me. So that's a fear that's gone forever. My soul was bit, meant for eternity. Why would, I, why would I get focused on, oh my gosh, what if I'm killed in a car accident and stuff? You know, I know he's going to look after my kids. I know he's going to look after my wife. I know where I'm going. If I'm going to believe it, if I'm going to believe that I've won the lottery in terms of my soul and that this world here that I'm living in is just me going to pick up the check, if I'm truly going to believe that, it frees my mind up to do so many other things. It frees my mind up to do things for my fellow humans to to experience things, to love things, to see God in a sunrise, to see God in a Saturday morning cup of coffee, 
and a conversation with my wife, the semen my dog. Because I'm not worried about the other stuff now. But I'm human. And I do. And I'm just like everybody else. I think if I just had a little bit more money, I'd be right where I wanted to be. (laughs) (laughs) That is an extraordinary message. And this is, um, it's an extraordinary experience. And I'm going to tell you, I'm just a little jealous. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just just a little jealous. But, and and I'm also very happy for you too. Um, The increased peace that comes with must come with those encounters. I, I, God has spoken to me. I've not had an audible voice or a visible thing that I have seen, but I have had clear that I. You know I, it when you know it. I, I just, for a skeptic, I would just have to have a conversation with you to try to impart the difference between that and just a random thought that that I get into my head. It is just it, a, a, a random thought is a, a dandelion seed uh, flying by versus um, um, a sack of bricks being laid on my hand. The, that kind of difference in, in what was pressed on me when I feel like the times that God has spoken to me. And um, the weight it carries is uh, extraordinary. But to have something like that um, is one of the reasons that we do this podcast is to surface um, the ways God works and to hear the extraordinary ways that he has moved in, in your life to shape your faith so that you are in position, not just with your family, but the fact that you are a, a family medical doctor and all the people that you see on a daily basis. I believe you incorporate your faith into your practice in, in to whatever degree it's appropriate in, in any given situation. Uh, your impact on teams that you've coached or that you've served as a uh, doctor for, I think you've done that with several University of Alabama um, sure. sports teams. And, and so I look at the ways that God has moved in your life and, and, literally spoken to you and i think he's spoken to you in in several places it's an extraordinary evolution of faith that has you now in a position where you seem just extremely secure in your spiritual peace and in um what you don't even know is ahead of you it, it 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 doesn't matter. It it's it's just gratitude and being okay with whatever circumstance you seem to find yourself in, even with an MS diagnosis. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that's the thing that that I always go back to whenever I'm I'm dealing with something is that being grateful because at one point when you were talking about that journey before my encounter. I said, you know what would be a really cool experiment? Let's, I feel like I'm really, really hammering God with, I need this, I want this, I need this, I want that, I need this. You're great and everything, too. Let me get that out there, God. You're great, you're great. But I need this, I need this, I need that. I felt like I was really in a place where I drifted. 
and not not in like committing sin as much. I mean, I was you know I'm always committing sin. Unfortunately, I wish I wasn't. Just in my thoughts, and I'm constantly trying to be better. But it wasn't that state where I'm like, God, I gotta really get my act together. It was like, wow. It's all about me, isn't it? You know, it, it's all about what I need, what I need, what I want. Can you do this for me? You know, and I said, let's do this. Let's, as, as a sign of gratitude and gratefulness for the life I have to this moment, if I was killed today, I know where I'm going. And the first thing I'd say to him is like, man, thank you so much for all this great stuff. It was a heck of a ride, and I would love to do it again. That kind of experience is something I'd really enjoy, doing the whole thing again. Why don't I just, for one month, thank you, to make up for some of these, can you do this for me? Can you give me this? Can can I have this? Lord, if you just do this. I said, so for one month, I'm just going to thank you for everything that I'm, that I'm encountering. And so for one month, it was, hey, glad the car started. Hey, the heater works in the car. That's thanks, man. That that was a pretty cool invention that you came up with so that when we drive to work, I'm not cold. Thanks for light bulbs. I mean, I got to point thinking for paper clips. I mean, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious or facetious. I mean, I was thanking him for everything. Hey, thanks for the Shawshank Redemption. One of my favorite movies. Great movie about friendship. You know. Thank you for friendship, you know, and it would just devolve into that. And what was cool about all that was that when you're thanking him and you're locked into that gratitude mode, you're conscious of everybody. You're conscious of other people more than yourself. It's like you're taking a back seat to you because you're so busy. Thinking, hey, man, thanks for that friend of mine. I need to call that guy. It's been a bit. And I, got to be honest, I thought about him, but I've been too lazy to call him. Thanks for him. I'm going to call him today. And I found myself doing things that were outside my comfort zone. I found myself going to like, because I was just grateful. I was like, man, shame on me for not doing it because this is awesome. I've got a great life. I've got all these people that care for me. Why would I not do this? That's why it's so strong for me is like when, when I'm all wimpy and poor pitiful me, sad sack, Charlie Brown. I go, come on, man. Look at what you got. Look where you live. You live in the South. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you got people that care about you here. You live in a place where there's great barbecue. You live in a place where, you know, people would miss you if you were gone. You You have a strong community of friends. You've got a number of people you can call at two in the morning. What have you got to be sad about? I mean, what do you really got to be upset about? I get in that habit too. I've observed my own prayers and the percentage of that that's focused on the things that I am asking for. Now, I try to ask for things that will also be for the good of others, but but clearly um, they're also for my good. I think that is awesome to, to commit a a certain amount of time, even if it's a week or a couple of days where it's like, I'm only going to demonstrate gratitude here. I'm only going to think about your goodness and the, the wonderful things that you've done. One of the things that I have found 
helpful to do is to think back on the prayers that God answered for me. Thank you for answering that prayer about that friend's situation. Thank you for taking me from that anxious state that I was in about a thing that I was worried about into a place that of whatever success that it came about. I know that was you. I mean, it's all you, you bring all of those things about. It's almost like all the things that he would say, are you kidding me <laughs> about yeah. pulling those back up and saying, thank you for that. I think that's a great exercise. I think I'm going to do that this week and I'm, I'm going to commit to a week of, of only gratitude. I can't imagine, I can't imagine how that would transform the way we view not only our, our lives, but, but the people around us and, and helping us to sharpen our attitude of love toward others. Well, you get you in that place of joy where you have that profound sense that there's more to this life than the randomness that we ascribe to it. And there's this, God has a plan for you, for me, for everybody. And that this has meaning. I can, I can only try to hear God's voice. I mean, I can only try to, and, and I want to go back to that. When you said that for the audible thing, I never thought I'd be somebody that heard his voice audibly. I thought that when people said they heard God, it was through the things that you and I were just talking about. That feeling where, okay, this is right, this is true. This is not of me because it doesn't really benefit me. I know it's selfless, and so this is probably the right way, and this is God telling me this is a way to go about doing it. But then it does benefit me because I feel closer to God. So in some ways it is self-serving, but... I never thought I'd be a person that heard that. I never thought I'd be a person that that happened to. But put yourself in my situation. If that happened to you, how could you keep that a secret? I don't, I don't know how you could. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I think I think it would be criminal for you to do so. Or not criminal is not the right word. It, it would be shameful. Yeah. I mean. It, you'd, be, you'd be robbing people of sure. the opportunity to to. to to experience God. That's the right way to put it. Yeah. Robbing them of that. Yeah. For something like that to happen and to not rejoice by telling people about it. It's like going back to your great example of the disciples. You know, it's like, we can't go do that. They just killed that guy. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the automatic thing that's going to get us killed. I I know we just left him, but... (laughs) You know, I don't want to do that. They couldn't help it. They couldn't. I mean, how could you not? You know. I, so, if you had to, if you had to roll all of this up into the the spiritual truths you've come to understand, and 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 what you would impart on others who are listening now, as sort of your message and what you've learned, what what would that be? Mm, um, love everybody anyway. And don't worry. 
it's so simple. Yeah. It's it's not easy to do, but the but the way it was designed, I believe, is easy to understand. It's just a challenge to do. Love God, love everybody, and don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> it's that. That's, and that's in a nutshell, I mean, you know, it's it's not really more complicated than that, is it? <laughs> No, it's not. It's just a matter of execution. And if we can trust and um, follow, and uh, I think we got a better chance at it. And, and spend time with God daily, because uh, I think he arms us when we open that door to him to do these things. I, I, uh, I didn't know you before this, but I know people that know you. And you are a changed person. And I I know who I was before, and I know that I am a changed person, and I see it in others as well that have sure. come to that realization. So um, it's a glorious message, and it's his message. It's not, it's, it's not it, mine. It, it is, but um, I can't thank you enough for sharing that experience with us. It's not easy in some ways to do, but it's almost impossible in other ways not to do. And for you to take the time to come here and pour that out for us is really a gift to us. And um, I'm extremely thankful for that. You're welcome. Thank you for having me and thank you for this opportunity to share it because it's you know when when the opportunity came up and i explained it to my wife and we listened to a couple of podcasts she said you have to and that's exactly the way i felt about it i don't think you can hear a story of a physical encounter with god directly from the person who had the encounter and not confront the possibility of its authenticity If you're skeptical or flat out don't believe it was real, I encourage you to deeply explore the reasons for your skepticism. If you believe that God really did make himself visible and audible to Jeff on that California hillside, I'd also encourage you to deeply explore the reasons for your belief. I think the answers to those questions will serve as critical foundations in your own spiritual evolution. I think we get so consumed in the details of our everyday lives that we sell the spiritual life incredibly short. I firmly believe that when we get to heaven, we'll be stunned to learn how much was happening immediately in front of us spiritually while we were in our physical bodies on earth. I also think that every once in a while, us humans have the great fortune of the spiritual breaking into the physical and the Holy Spirit cracking the door of heaven for us to sneak a peek, if ever so briefly. Jeff makes a great point about how we tend to put borders on God's reach. Hopefully today's conversation was a reminder to all of us that God has no limits, that He's always in pursuit of us, and that if we'll love Him and truly trust Him, there's just no reason to worry, no matter the circumstance. Thank you for being with us today on A Stronger Faith. If you know of someone who's had a spiritual encounter, Or if you feel like God may be calling you to share your own faith experience so that others may be drawn closer to Him, email us at connect at astrongerfaith.com 
or visit astrongerfaith.com to connect with us there. Until next time, I pray for peace and a stronger faith for you and those you love.